Welcome to this edition of Fridays with Fintelect. My guest today is Robin Lee, head of APAC at Napier.ai, uh, which is a London-based rec tech at which he leads the Asian expansion for its AML products. Uh, Robin is based in Singapore and is a very, very well-known personality in the AML, CFD, and financial crime compliance space in the region, having spent a number of years working in this domain. And he also undertakes a number of community initiatives to keep the compliance folks together. So Robin, welcome to Fridays with Fintelect. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the, the kind words, Suresh. You're, you're, you're too kind, sir. You're too kind. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, so Robin, at the outset, uh, could you speak about your personal journey in the world of AML, CFT and FCC and how the various uh, career moves you had have shaped and impacted you uh, to get you into the position you're in today and doing what you're doing today? So in terms of my, my, my personal journey, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take it back to the, the beginning um, and, and, and start from there. Um, we, we've shared this joke many a time, Sharesh, but for those of you who aren't aware, my, my parents are actually from Malaysia, uh, but I was born and raised in the UK. And so, you know, the number of times people come up to me and said, hey, Robin, you know, you, you, you kind of look like Jet Li, but sound like Harry Potter. Um, you know, that's... that's um, that's the reason why, ladies and gentlemen. And um, let me see, I, so I graduated from King's College London in mathematics, computer science, and management. Um, my career actually started in Silicon Valley. So as soon as I finished university, I moved to the United States and I started out as a developer. Okay, and, and, I, and I worked, while I was in the Valley, I actually worked at two startups, which were very much aligned with this concept of compliance and, and regulations, et cetera, et cetera. So the first startup I worked for, we focused on enterprise software for the um, uh, healthcare industry. And in particular, we put together the first electronic medical record that could be used on the cloud and simultaneously transcription software. And so for those of you who, who aren't familiar with this, this area, you know, a doctor will, will um, um, what's it called, dictate his or her um, medical report. And then the transcriptionist will take that dictation recording and type it up. And, um, and then that will form part of a, a medical record per se. And so what I, so I was one of the developers for this software and, um, I, I, my first spat with compliance was revolved around this concept whereby several doctors were outsourcing the transcription side, still all on our same platform using our software to a third party company. And often case, this third party organization would be in a different jurisdiction. And there were instances where you know, the transcriptionists or the transcription company weren't, weren't happy with, with how much they were getting paid. And so as a way of, of threatening the doctors to, to achieve, attain that, that, that pay hike or that, that, that pay increment, they would, they would threaten to, to publish those medical records that they have on the web and make them available to everyone. And so it was the, 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 my first, first brush with compliance. The second company that I worked for, um, we used to do um, email archival and I say email as opposed to communication because that's the only way we communicated back then I don't know if it's, this shows how old I am where you know I send an email um, to Shiresh for example that gets archived um, we had the ability to to stop email so if 
if market and timing, for example, were within like seven words of each other, then then the email could get stopped. Someone could sit there and, and review that email and say, this one's okay to go, this one's not okay to go, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and, and very much our, our customers then were, were um, financial institutions like trading houses and, and, and what have you that, that require this, 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 this um, sort of software. So I started out as a developer within that, that six year period. And then from there, I, I moved on to the business side and I realized very quickly that coding wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And then, um, and then after that, and then during this time, I did an MBA part-time, graduated from Santa Clara University, and then um, made the move to Wall Street, where for four years, I worked in the hedge fund industry as an analyst covering technology companies. Um, lots and lots of compliance exposure there, whether that be from the... We actually, I started using the communications archival software to, um, you know, we had a compliance officer in-house who would, would tell us what we can and what we, we couldn't do as analysts and who we could talk to even. Um, and then, of course, there, were, there was the whole um, um, financial crisis as well, right, where we see the market up a thousand points one day, down a thousand points one, another day. And so a, a big part of, of of that led me to to really question whether I wanted to be in this this industry anymore, um, whether I wanted to keep keep doing this because it was it was it was so hectic at the time and 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 you know I certainly lost a lot of um, a, a lot of hours of sleep and probably as a result hours of my life as a, a result of that. Um, and so what I did after was I I um, I my sister was living in Singapore at the time. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I came over here um, and spent the first six months like sleeping on a couch and trading stocks at night to get by. <laughs> and, then, um, and then after that, I, I, I decided I wanted to stay in Singapore. And so staying in Singapore was the priority as opposed to what I wanted to do with my career. And it just so happened that I, 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 I found this company called the International Compliance Association, um, joined them, really, um, had some some amazing opportunities from a digitization perspective so so we offered compliance learning um and um you could do like a diploma in compliance a diploma in aml and you know what what, what i really enjoyed about working there was i was given the opportunity to digitize that entire process and so you know we 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 would offer i mean we would hold exams for example right we'd hire out a massive ballroom guys would have desks like this big. At the same time, we were giving out five ring binders, yay high. And I'd see people like with their, their ring binders sprawled out because it's open book exams. And I was just looking at this thinking, this is a, a, a terrible user experience. Let's see what we can do to change this. And it just so happens that, that at the beginning of, of, of this, of, of my, my, my stint there, um, the, the iPad mini was released. And I don't know if you remember, but when this came out, it was, it was super cheap, Shiresh, right? It was the cheapest iPad on the market. Absolutely. It was cool, Absolutely. so cool. You know, people loved it. And they, 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 they didn't care whether it was like an, you know, $8,000, $11,000 course. The fact that you get the latest iPad for free with the course was, was, was a, a big deal. So we, we, we did that. And I designed the whole interface with iTunes University, the digitization of the documents, et cetera, et cetera. And we just gave away a free iPad and, and, and sales went up exponentially as a result of that. I then also had the opportunity to take the membership that ICA had 
and digitize that into an app. So I actually pulled in one of my guys from Silicon Valley and we 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 actually took my my colleagues um pregnancy tests app interface and then pulled that across to like um a a um a, a really uh, a really cool app which would um be useful for compliance officers whether that be telling you all the latest regulations to um an exclusive you know if you if you if you have the go into the, the the member section of the app you're able to access all like your magazine articles your training etc cetera, etc cetera, really really cool stuff um and then i i left ica after three years um just to take the opportunity to, to start something myself and that's that's when we first met right Shiresh, when i started up the the governance risk aml compliance and ethics foundation we, we uh, or the, the there's an acronym grace right that's and right. we were a bunch of, of of nerds back then that wanted to really improve the the compliance um community experience and so we we um we we, we actually based uh, grace grace off um i don't know if you guys remember night night rider the knights foundation and the the k-n-i-g-h-t stood for something i can't remember what it was exactly but we, we, we want to be cool like that right and we were we were focusing on video based learning um which in 2013 you know what was out at the time for video-based learning was, or, or, or e-learning, right, was a bunch of PowerPoint slides that probably ran for about an hour with some guy just talking over. It was, it was again, user experience wasn't wasn't that great, right? And so what we did was we we tried to accommodate for the YouTube generation by making short one to two minute videos. And one of my my first hires was actually a TV producer. And we make sure that each of those videos was a different genre or style so that you just remember it better. Um, and it would range from, you know, anything like an animated video to someone talking in person with, with um, objects popping up in the background. So we even went as far as doing like a 70s style Kung Fu movie style video to even a Korean drama <laughs> style video as well. And the idea is that if you want to remember placement layering and, and, and integration, um, the, the Kung Fu video taught you that and you remember what the, the Kung Fu guy did and the moves and what he said, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then um, it's just a, a, a more positive, shall I say, learning experience than, than what was on the market at the time. Um, I then, the, my, my, my company was then acquired by one of the law firms in Singapore. Um, and then after, after overseeing that integration, um, I then helped launch the RegTech scene in Singapore with a company called Datarama, where we had um, a visualization. Um, again, we actually took this from Google Maps, right? Where we, we were able to expand the map, minimize it, but for UBO mapping. And, and um, it was it was really, really cool project to work on. And that was then that I was actually headhunted to join what was then Thomson Reuters, um, now Refinitiv or, or, or London Stock Exchange Group to, um, to head up the, the strategy for Southeast Asia. Uh, I did this and then I, I was there through the whole Refinitiv spin out. Um, and then um, it was then that I started working very closely with, with Napier Technologies. Um, I then left um, um, Refinitiv to um, help the US Department of Justice launch a public-private partnership that focuses on the FinTech space called the FinTech Sector Public Dialogue. Um, so we went to New York City. We um, um, 
what's it called? Um, launched it with the, um, uh, what's it called? The Federal Reserve in New York, um, in, in their building. Uh, and it, that still runs till, till today with um, the Honorable Karen Kenny. Um, and then, and then, so after I left um, Refinitiv and then during this whole time with the DOJ, that was, I was still in touch with Napier. And then finally they said, you know, do you, want, do you actually want to come and launch Asia for us? And so I, two and a half years ago, I did that. And that is where I am today. We started off with, well, I started the company and, and joined as being the only guy in APAC. And we had about 35 people in the company. And today uh, we have about 210 people in the company and about 60 people in APAC. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my story. Sorry about it took so long, Suresh, but... Uh... <laughs> that's fantastic. That's, uh, no, no, absolutely, uh, absolutely fantastic, uh, Robin. And uh, it was great to see uh, the growth that, that you had as well as you know, what you've uh, managed to achieve for Napier in the last uh, couple of years. So, uh, Robin, you, know, you regularly interact with compliance leaders across Asia, right? Now, uh, what would you say are the top few key issues that keep them awake at night? And uh, also, what are some of the high-level industry trends uh, that you're seeing? Yeah, so, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, so I'll try and keep, keep everything as, 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 as pristine as, and, and as sharp as possible. I'll say that the, the, the first one would be the industry changes themselves, right? So whether that be the, the, the fintech revolution, the insurtech revolution, uh, wealth tech, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's definitely like a, a digitization of, of industries coming in. And, and it really depends on, on which compliance leader you are, right? If you're the compliance leader of a, a small startup, then you know, what's keeping you up at night is, is are you going to get a license? Are you going to get established? Is the company going to be around in a year or two, two's time, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And then I, I guess the, the, if I look at it from a big company, big organization perspective, it's, you know, are we still, are, are we, you know, still relevant or is the, is the organization relevant, relevant enough to not have these little guys come away and, 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 and eat away at us or, or, or threaten us? So that's the overall picture, first of all. And then as we, we narrow down, I would say that there are ever-changing regulations and so compliance leaders, there's three things that they want to understand from that, that front. The why the regulation was done in the first place. So was it like a, a emergence of a new predicate crime, for example, in the in the, the thin crime space, or or is it because something happened or et cetera, et cetera? Why why are, are we having this change in regulation? Um, number two is what does this mean for me and my organization? Okay. Um, and the third is how are we going to accommodate for it? So, you know, at Napier, for example, we offer transaction monitoring and, and there might be a regulation. I remember there's one in Malaysia a, a while back that said that all cash transactions over 50,000 ringgit need to be monitored or, or, or logged. And then they brought that down to 25,000 ringgit. And so um, um, as far as... as um, Napier is concerned. If you if you were using Napier, you can actually change that in our our rule builder, right there and then. Or if you're using an older system, you go back to the vendor and have them do that for you. But that that's that's an operational slash you know 
you know, training and, and, and whatever. How, how do you accommodate for that within your own organization? So the why, the what, and the how. Um, I guess another thing that keeps keeps everyone up at night is is the role of compliance itself and how it's 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 almost evolved over the years, right? I've been in this game now for about 10 years and I'm sure you've been in it for just as long, right? If not longer, right, Shiresh? And, and, and we had this discussion the other day about how we, how original compliance officers, you know, well, at least 15 years ago were salespeople that couldn't make their numbers and didn't want to do sales anymore, right? And then it went from that to lawyers who didn't want to do law anymore to more of an operational like risk kind of role to the technologist, right? And if I, if I was to take that latest one, um, you know, what skill sets do you need for that? You know, we see a lot of big data courses taking off and, and AI courses and, and, and what have you. Um, you know, I had a panel, and this is like four years ago now, um, where I was, I, one of the panels I was moderating, the head of compliance said that, that in, in 20 years time, the person that has my job will have to have a PhD in data science, right? So, so I, I guess that 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 skill set and 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 then do I have the right people and and, and mindset within my my team is another one. Um, if the company is is large enough, a lot of heads of compliance have to deal with internal politics, right? Um, you know, is 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 this? You know, we. we you know, some, some companies are so big, they have like almost Game of Thrones level politics happening, right? And, and, and unfortunately, the, the head of compliance is caught up in that or, or, or has to, to navigate through that. And, and, and this, this comes with the territory, right? The, the bigger an organization you're in, the, 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 the more politics that are going to be. And, and, and managing that is, is, is definitely um, a challenge. Um, especially if not everyone has, has, has um, your interests or your organization's interests in, um, uh -huh. And then I, I think the last one, and this is this is a um, this is more for a, a particular set of compliance officers. A lot of compliance officers are are, are in the role um, because they, they they really do believe in in what they're doing. And so, if I was to take the financial crime element, for example, a lot of compliance officers um, who manage financial crime really do care about the predicate crimes, whether that's human trafficking, uh, um, wildlife trafficking, uh, environmental crime, et cetera, et cetera. They, they, they really do care about that. And that is something that, that they, and, and, and I'm, I'm definitely aligned with these guys and, and feel this way myself. Um, definitely feel that they could, they could um, make the world a better place per se, or make the organization a better place at the very least with that mindset. Uh and uh, you know uh, what what are some of the industry trends you're seeing but uh, what we could do robin is uh, you know towards the end i'm also going to ask you a bit about what we see going forward and maybe you could speak a bit about the industry trends uh, that time sure. uh, but you know uh, you mentioned regulators and you know we um, uh, you know see a lot of stress by regulators on reporting entities or regulated entities to ensure good quality of reporting, right? Uh, it's not just about quantity anymore. Now, obviously, this is not going to be possible uh, without the use of technology. So where in the entire supply chain of transactions uh, do you see technology adding value 
so as to help these regulated entities to comply better yeah so so um so when you, when you first when we first discussed about you know actually doing this and 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 we discussed this as a question Shiresh, i i a long hard think about this and and it's almost as if you know you're looking at the whole aml suite in a way through that transaction and i, I kind of so if i was to compartmentalize this i would say that you have pre-transactions at during the actual transactions themselves and post-transactions right and so when you look at pre-transactions you know it, it could be anything from you know your your regular kyc kyb solutions um make ensuring that that they are um you know you're, you're leveraging technology for the, for that um and, and, and there's different levels of, of the full technology stack, by the way, right? So what, what I'll do is, it, I'll say with, with KYC, you know, the, the, we talk about eKYC, there are a lot, a lot of players in this market, okay? The barrier to entry to, to doing eKYC is actually very, very low, okay? I mean, even the cloud vendors offer the tools for this. So, so you and I could technically raise five grand go to a solutions architect in, I don't know, Alibaba, give them money and then, and then the guy will just give us, will pull the tools off the shelf and say, here you go, you're, you're in the market and, and, and competing, right? It's, 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 it's a very, very low barrier to entry. And there are lots of considerations that, that you need to, to take into account when using these systems. Um, for example, there, there's one company I'm aware of that's using a mainland Chinese company for facial recognition, um, an Eastern European company for document extraction, right? Um, a, a Nepalese company for for so so you know what I mean. And, and these are all servers sitting in those jurisdictions that that are being leveraged, right? To to other organizations which which have have everything in in place, you know the data is not going to leave the country, et cetera, et cetera. So so there's there's that KYC factor, there's the KYB factor, and there's no silver bullet to this, right? Until everyone like every jurisdiction sets up a UBO register of some register of some sort, and and everything is interconnected, you're gonna have a very hard time, right? Um, I mean. Forget the, the the UBO register. Some of them aren't even digitized, right? So there there are there are countries in Southeast Asia where they don't even have a, a centralized company registry. You've got to go to the the um, the go to and manually retrieve the records from the province. Not even <laughs> not not even the, uh, like the capital, the, the province manually retrieve those company records just to just to to, to make any sense of, of of how they're structured, right? So, so, so there's, there's that KYB element and, 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 and your overall fraud element that, that rolls into that. There's also what we call payment screening or transaction screening, where you can stop incoming or outgoing transactions based off, you know, whether there's sanctioned entities, sanctioned jurisdictions involved, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that, that's, that's kind of how I would summarize the, the pre-transaction um, element, right? During the actual transaction, you want as much details as possible, okay? Um, and, and so that, that's more of a, a data collection and ensuring that there's, there's enough data around that. And I'll talk more to that in a bit. 
And then last but by no least, so like your post-transaction um, technology element, whether that's transaction monitoring or the filing of, of STRs to, to ensure that, that that's automated, okay? Um, so that's the breakdown of the actual transaction itself. I would say that, that if you really wanted to, to go above and beyond, which is what many banks are doing as well, you bring it all together. And so what, you, what, and what, what I mean by that is this concept of holistic AML, whereby you, um, rather than, than, than just taking the actual transaction, you take all the other data and make that, that transaction uh, data a piece of the puzzle and have that whole profile on Shiresh, for example. And, almost, and, so, and so by doing that, you're almost taking like a, I guess like a Facebook approach, right? So like how Facebook knows who you like, who you hang out with, um, who you, um, where, where you hang out, et cetera, et cetera, because you're there logging all of that. You can have a similar approach to, to AML where we have, um, we, have, we have all of Suresh's data from an AML perspective and have that profile on him. And if we're able to spot anything that's, that's out of the ordinary or, or, or unusual behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, and then and, and flag those accordingly. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, that, that yeah. does, that does, yeah. So thanks for sort of, uh, you know, breaking down into those three sections. I think uh, that was uh, very useful. And Robin, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, while answering the previous question that obviously, you know, when you look at compliance officers, your uh, sort of, you know, compliance officers uh, of regulated entities of all sizes, it could be like a small fintech, a small bank or a large institution now. Uh, you know, many times what happens is the lack of scale or size or transaction volume is often uh, cited as a reason for not adopting uh, AML technology solutions. Uh, you know, you mentioned that in certain jurisdictions, uh, they're fairly, uh, you know, I would say uh, behind in technology. Uh, so how can smaller banks or smaller institutions or startups uh, overcome this uh, automation hurdle? Sure. So the, 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 the first thing I would speak to on that is mindset. Okay. Um, you know, many, and it's a big reason and a, and a big thing that we've discussed at the, the DOJ FSPD, right, is, is uh, so I can't speak to, to small banks as much from this perspective, but I can definitely sp speak to fintechs, whereby, you know, it, it's, it's, it's actually not too dissimilar to how how people thought of compliance when I was starting out, or probably when you were starting out, Shiresh, right? It's a pain, business prevention, cost center, et cetera, et cetera. But what I find especially, well, especially prevalent in the, on the FinTech side, is we see many founders, right? Not even the compliance officers, but founders um, take that view, but also have the view that they can cut corners as well. Right, um, they they would they would look to people like Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. You know what he says: um, move fast and break things. Right, so so it's like let's move fast and break compliance and it, or, or break AML. And it's like no, 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 you, you you can't do that. This is this is financial services, right? You by by operating as a fintech or or a small bank, right? You are a gateway to the financial in financial um, system, right? And and. And if you want to be a player in the financial system, you need to understand that we need to keep the bad players out, right? <laughs> and uh, um, 
not bad players, sorry, bad actors out, bad people out, right? Um, and so I, I think I, I think that that mindset is would be number one. Number two would be knowledge, right? Um, look, and 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 you know, this isn't. I'm not paid to do this, but you know, signing up to Fintelect and, and and watching a video, you know, Fintelect offers like the Netflix for compliance training in a way, right? With your videos, right? So. Uh, and and it's and it's and it's not it's not super expensive either. So I, I would put. I mean, if I had a ten person fintech and I was I was looking to launch, I'd put everyone on fintelex and, and and say everybody every everybody this week we watch this video, next week we watch this video, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that so everyone's in that that mindset and has the training um, um, for that 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 that, um, that AML um, angle, um, and then. Look, um, when we look at the technology itself, you know, how do you view AML automation, right? If you if you actually sit back and do a a, a cost benefit analysis, right? Is it is it going to be cheaper for me to have an EKYC system that costs I don't know a hundred thousand dollars, or or am I going to hire five people to go through <laughs> documents and, and 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 what have you, um, and 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 pay them fifty thousand dollars each, right? When when you actually do the numbers, the cost benefit analysis, technology actually comes in and, 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 and can help you save a lot of money. Um, and, and I guess last, but by, by no means least, um, you know, for, for, for solutions like, like Napier, right? The way I would describe us is that we are the IOS for financial crime, where we have a platform, we have different apps that sit on our platform, all the apps talk to each other, integrate, etc. You don't have to buy all the apps at once, right? Just get the ones that you need, right? It's it's, it's pretty cost effective if you if you if you do that. And then later you can start adding adding apps later down the line and 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 have everything within that <clears throat> that system if if cost really is is a factor. Sure, sure. Sounds uh, that sounds good. Uh... Robin, anyway, thanks for the plug into Fintlex, by the way. No, 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 no problem. No problem. Uh, Slip me 20 later. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Robin, you know, uh, obviously you've worked with customers in many countries and, you know, you've probably noticed that, you know, some customers uh, have a better AML compliance, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, more effective than some other institution, right? Someone has a, some of them have a better mousetrap. Uh, internally now, what factor or factors would you attribute this to? Sure. Um, so there's, there's, um, you know, it's the jurisdiction itself, and what are the regulations? If we take it back to first principle, um, you know, really mentioned right. Some some jurisdictions have way more regulations than others. You know, for better or for worse, um, and so, so. You know, the less regulations you have, the the less of a solid compliance uh, program you need, especially if you only operate in that particular jurisdiction, right? Um, the second, I would say, ties into my my previous the previous question, where it's really down to the approach of the organization themselves and how seriously they take AML. Um, I'd say another would be how much money do you have, right? How 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 well funded is your organization? I mean, there's a reason why, you know, as, as, as fintechs get bigger and bigger and bigger, 
uh, you know, and, and scale up more and 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 come into more money that they're that that, that they're poaching compliance officers from banks, right? I'm not saying that a banking compliance officer is 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 better than a a fintech compliance officer, but because they've got a lot more to deal with, and 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 the the perception is that you have you have um um you know more more substance here um versus this, right? Um, so how much money do you have, right? Because that that will that will affect the quality of the the, the team that you 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 bring in. Um, I would say that there's what what comes with with uh, the compliance program is the the understanding of of technology and the quality of the technology team as well, right? If your technology team is is lacking, um, then and you aren't able to do what you got to do, right? To to, to you might have to make some changes to the, the the policy accordingly. It should not have to be done that way. You know, you, you should you should write the policy first, and then everything else should 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 line into that. But hey, sometimes you run into situations where where you can't, right? And then um, last, but by no means least, is another plug for Fintelect here. But overall, education, right? Um, some some teams are. Are, are definitely more educated than others. And, and in fact, if I can go back to the, the fintech versus banking example, right? I mean, this definitely isn't the case now, but I remember when the fintech um, scene launched um, circa 2014, 2015, you know, the head of compliance would be a university grad straight out of uni, right? And um, <laughs> so you compare someone like that to someone who has 20 years banking experience, that's what I'm talking about, you know? Right, right, right. Yes, makes sense, uh, Robin. So, you know, we, we usually these days can't do any episode without talking about the pandemic. So, you know, you've uh, noticed that the pandemic has actually uh, accelerated certain financial crime trends, uh, especially in the area of new payment systems and digital banking and virtual assets. Now, uh, can you share your thoughts on how regulated entities uh, can or should be uh, better prepared to identify and deal with these uh, risks? So first and foremost, education and knowledge. Understand the products, understand the industry. So if you're a bank and you're setting up a, um, a digital asset custodial service within your bank, then you really better understand this thing to death, right? Um, so I would say that that so once you understand the 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 arena that you're entering or or, or dealing with etc um next step is is having the the um the skill set uh and experience to write the policy to that okay so you you then come up with the the appropriate policy and then you bring in the technology which is where we come into play right and then from the the, the, the technology perspective it's understanding uh, what functionalities are available or are not available, picking the right vendor. Um, a big one for me is this concept of holistic AML that I talked to earlier, where someone like Napier could integrate, you know, all the various crypto um, um, equivalents, right? Um, that whether it be KYT, whether it be, um, um, What's it called? Um, like the investigative tools, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, into into our system, adding it to our data set, and then being able to report on that or integrate that into your risk assessment, uh, into your risk assessment um, accordingly. 
Um, and then I, I would say the 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 last one, and, and it kind of ties into what I mentioned earlier, is the recognition of skill sets, especially, right? A, a fraud officer is actually very different to an AML officer, right? In terms of, 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 of what's required. Um, but unfortunately, you know, many of the the the, the, the new school fintechs or whatever put it put all financial crime in the same bucket and think that 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 one could do the other, but it's actually very, very different, right? And so the systems That's that come true. with that are very different as well, right? Yes, yes, yes. So um, you know, in closing, uh, Robin, you know, going back to uh, one of the points that we were speaking about earlier. I mean, what would you say uh, are some of the industry trends? What do you, would you say is the uh, outlook for 2023, uh, especially when it comes to AML technology deployment? Yeah, so, so look, um, I think that, that, that before we even begin with, with AML technology, if you just look at the overall landscape of of what's going on in the economy right now, right? Interest rates going up, okay? Um, um, inflation is going up, okay? Um, we're probably gonna head to a recession, a global recession again. Um, and so what comes with that is that there's, we're gonna see a lot less fintechs, a lot less startups, right? The startup sector will definitely be affected. I mean, we, we've, we've essentially, done what like 10 15 years of zero percent interest rates right so so now that we're coming out of that and 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 everything's suddenly going up we're going to see less less startups as a result of that or, or and, and so current startups will be affected you know quite dramatically as a result right everyone will be affected by it right i mean those of us who, who have mortgages for example you know our, our monthly payments are gonna gonna start going up. Um, you know, I guess, but I, I don't know if it'll hit eighty. You know, the point in the eighties where interest rates were twenty percent, and it was actually worth putting your money in a savings account as opposed to <laughs> investing in any anything speculative, right? But, um, but you know, it, it looks like it's 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 heading there right now, and so what that means for for AML. So let's talk about you know, the, the predicate crimes, first of all, criminals will take advantage of this and adapt. They always have, right? They adapted during the pandemic and they'll adapt to this, okay? Um, I think we, those fintechs that, that are able to make it or have a chance of making it, some guys will, will definitely, you know, start cutting corners, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's survival mode as opposed to, to you know what it was before um one thing that is interesting though that about this time so, so that will happen but i think um the, op the, the 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 other aspect to consider here is that this is when you know during the go-go years when everyone is perceivedly doing well this is times like this is when we see um as warren buffett likes to say who's swimming naked right and and um when the tide comes in and and and, and so we will, um, we will definitely um, um, see more blow-ups, right? We've already seen FTX, right? When crypto goes down, this thing blows up. But, but I think we'll, we'll see more, more blow-ups of that nature. And then it's not necessarily just restricted to the crypto space, 
right? And so, so as a result of those blow-ups, that's when regulation tends to <laughs> to adjust accordingly, and 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 so yours and I, my 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 customers will will be affected as a result of that. Um, and then, if I was to talk about the AML deployment angle, I would say that um, this is when this is a great time where the newer, cheaper technologies can really, or more effective technology, not necessarily cheaper, but more effective technologies can come into play. Uh, so, for example, with Napier, you know, we 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 are architected with Kubernetes, right? Which means that we could be deployed on prem, on cloud prem, on cloud as a managed service. We can you can copy and you paste your software all around, and it doesn't matter as far as the end user is concerned; they won't see see anything, any change, right? Because we use containerization within that. Um, you, we will see holistic AML really come in and and, and have that full client three hundred and sixty reviews, perpetual KYC, um, AI insights, all all that all that stuff really really um, continue to to grow because it, it you know a time when there's there's um, less money available, you kind of have, have to look to the technology side, right, to, to see if, if, if automation can can help you play a part. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's it <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, that's, that's great, uh, Robin. Uh, and, you know, on, on that note, uh, you know, thank you so much for joining in today. Uh, sharing your thoughts. Having you, Suresh. I mean, we, like I said, we, we've known each other for a while now, right? And we haven't, we haven't done one before. So this Absolutely. is Absolutely. that we get to catch up here. Yes, yes. And uh, hopefully I'll see you in Singapore soon. Uh, and until then, take care. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. And thank you everyone for watching.